You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Why don't we turn to Judges chapter 15. We're going to look at another chapter this week in its entirety here. Judges chapter 15, if you would get there. I had one picture last week that came from Kaylee Skifter. Kaylee here today? Yeah. So, no, that's Cla- yeah, Claire's here with us today, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, Kaylee's at home. You can tell Kaylee, her picture was up here anyway, she's got a picture here. Last week we were looking at Samson with uh, the lion, the lion that he killed, and the lion that he came back to and found honey in, and uh, took honey out of that carcass of the lion, and we kind of looked at, at what looked like you know, Samson's kind of his rotten life, and yet how God uses, does sweet things through his sovereign plan. Uh, in life, and we see that again, um, even just to his work here in our passage today. So, hopefully, you're you're here by uh, now. Judges chapter 15. Let's read the account in its entirety, and then we'll just go back over it a little bit, just to kind of study it somewhat here. So let's let's listen to God's word. That's what His word says. After some days, at the time of wheat harvest. Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than her, than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to him, This time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches and he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails and we had when he had set fire to the torches he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards then the philistines said who has done this And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down, stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so have I done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. 
Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it, and with it struck a thousand men. And Samson said, With the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps. With the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramat-Lehi. He was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called in Kore. It is at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Let's pray again. Lord, I come before you right now and would just again pray that you would guide in the reading of your word. It is a beautiful, eternal word to us, pointing us to Jesus over and over again as the grand theme of creation. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the glorified King. Lord, lead us to Christ again through this text. Lead us to you. Lead us to our great salvation. And may it be to us a great salvation. Remind us again of your might and your ways and your greatness. We would pray by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you a phrase that sounds a bit like a riddle or a joke. What do 300 foxes, a new rope, and a donkey's jawbone have in common? And it just it sounds like a beginning of a, of a joke or a riddle. The thr- 300 foxes, new rope, donkey's jawbone, and that's what it sounds like. And in the midst of chapter 15, we've got all this going on in addition to other things. We've got fields being burned. Philistines are being struck down on the leg and thigh. Hip and thigh, I think it says. There's, there's hiding in rocks. There's new ropes. We're talking about ropes today. New versus old. And those ropes, those ropes melt away. We've got a random jawbone that, sh- well, quote-unquote random jawbone that shows up. And to finish it all off, we've got a fountain that just springs up out of the ground by God Himself. So what do these have in common? What's the commonality of all this? The commonality is they are a catalog of God's great salvation for His people. God is a Savior among His people, and it's a catalog of Him saving His people. We need to say, though, Samson's not much of a model here to follow. But he's also God's servant. Okay, We looked at Samson, not much of a model, but he's God's servant to bring about salvation for this people. And there, it's, it's just a twisting, it's a curving account. You've got this going on, and then this going on, and that's... There's a back and forth to it, but I think near the end, if we step back again, God's Word helps us near the end go, okay, what's this trying to say to us? What should we take away from this? What should we hear about this? 
So what had begun in chapter 14 that we looked at last weekend, we looked at Samson's blow to the 30 men of Ashkelon. Now it's going to just ramp into high gear. That was 30. There's going to be more now. And now we're just going to come through chapter 15. And our first view of God's salvation, if we can see it here, our first view comes in the midst of Samson's wife having been given away to his best man. That's where we ended last week. Samson went away angry from fighting the, the, the 30, getting the 30 and the garments back to them, and he goes home angry. And in the meantime, his wife is given to his best man, and now Samson comes back. So, and he comes back to his wife with a young goat. I don't, young goats just keep showing up. Here's another one. Here's a young goat to bring to his wife. Now, I just have to read you from Dale Davis. Here's how he pictures it. Here's Samson at the door, young goat in hand. He has come for his wife. Dale Davis says, there stands Samson, young goat in lieu of flowers. So we're used to flowers. Young goat. Maybe that's a new thing. Just guys, Valentine's Day, plan early, get a young goat, find him. Some of you might raise goats. Anyway, young goat under his arm. He's got a twinkle in his eye and he's in the mood for love. Love how he says it. Samson, he essentially says, I'm back and where's my wife? That's what Samson has come back for. Take note of one thing in verse 1. Look at the time. What time are we in? We're in the time of wheat harvest, and that's not a throwaway detail. The wheat harvest is going on. And here's Samson now looking for his wife, and we, the reader, already know. We know what's going on because we've already seen it back in the last part of chapter 14 that this wife of his has been given over to his, the, the best man. And so the father refuses Samson to come in. So first, Samson's wife in chapter 14 spoiled the riddle and she, under pressure, got out the meaning of the riddle, gave it to the Philistines, and so the Philistines got the meaning of the riddle and they got their clothing from Samson. He had to pay up. Secondly now, though, the father of this bride takes her and gives her to another and he he violates you know whatever i know it's a foreign daughter but there's a covenant and he violates and a marriage agreement had been made but it's violent here you can give it to the best man and so there's seeds of revenge and even though the sister is offered like here take her sister samson doesn't want it. he would not have it look at verse three look at verse three in here and samson said to them this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. Now, I'm not super clear on why Samson this time says, I'm innocent. Um, it, it looks like maybe something he did in Ashkelon was, maybe he was just doing that out of personal revenge. Um, and, and we might ask, you know, you know should Samson take revenge for, on the Philistines, even here for the wrong of his father-in-law? And we're trying to figure this out. Maybe he just felt guilty from the last time. I'm not sure. Either way, there's going to be harm. And it, and it, it appears it's more than the father-in-law. The father, it's, it's to the Philistines this time. Now, to broaden that out, think of it, though. The father just he gave the wife away, but who took the wife? The best man. And it seems like the city was okay with that. So there was more than just the father-in-law involved here. Here's what one commentary says. Samson regarded the treatment which he had received from his father-in-law 
as but one effect of the disposition of the Philistines generally toward the Israelites, and therefore resolved to avenge the wrong which he had received from one member of the Philistines upon the whole nation, or at all events upon the whole of the city of Timnath, where he was. And so Samson does, and he gets on it. And so verses 4 through 5, they capture this destruction of the Philistine fields. And somehow Samson does it by 300 foxes. Someone, uh, they propose maybe foxes, another word would be jackals. Whatever it was, Samson just happened to find 300 it's hard, I, you know, hunting seasons, how are you going to find one? You know, you want to find one deer, whatever, or, or a couple. This is 300. I don't know. We don't know how it all went, but we know who's behind all of this. So in one sense, we know how this happened. And he finds 300 of them, ties them together. So essentially you've got, do the math, right? On, right? 150 pairs of foxes going out with torches, with fire in the dry season, towards this, towards these dry fields. And there's a recipe for disaster. Look at verse 5 here. When he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. One commentary says this, towards these fires in this time of harvest, the fiery destruction included the dry shocks of grain already harvested, along with the dry standing grain yet to be harvested, and spread also to the vineyards and olive groves, thus destroying the land's three main crops. So we get a picture of this. It's easy to think maybe they just went through a couple fields. I don't know how why this is, but the wording here, what I could find is there's, there's, these are collective singulars, and that doesn't mean anything, but the words here are, they're singular in nature, but I think they mean he went through the olive orchards. We can say it's plural as like a lot. I don't, the extent, I'm not sure of. We don't know how far. What we do know is God's great salvation was burning through the fields of the Philistines. Their food was wiped out, and there's great destruction And here's salvation again, running through the fields. That's a glimpse. That's a catalog. That's a salvation. Okay, there's a a destruction now. Remember back in in chapter 14, verse 4, gave us this direction. The Lord, He was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. Here's Samson taking advantage. Okay, so the next scene. And we're going to find this. It just gets... It's kind of like a tennis match. Right? It's just back and forth. He does this, they retaliate. They, you know, it's, just, it's just back and forth it goes. So Samson's wife is given away. The Philistine fields are burned. Now the Philistines are going to burn something. Look at verse 6. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? They want to know, right? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he, that is the the father-in-law, he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up. The Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. The Philistines are mad and they want to know who's responsible. 
and it's this father. And in an unwise move, he has let his daughter be married to the best man. Back in chapter 14, remember, they avoided the burning of the house. That was a threat of the Philistines back in chapter 14. We're going to burn you down. Give us the riddle. And she tries and pressures Samson, and finally she gives the riddle. We're back again, and that only lasted so long until now Samson has gone out, burned the fields, and their Philistines come back to revenge and burn the house down. And so there's this revenge and this avenging, and it's back and forth again in this narrative. So Samson, Samson finds out, you burned basically my father and my wife's house down. You burn that down, he's going to come after them, and he's going to strike them, as verse 8 says, he struck them uh, hip and thigh with a great blow. You can't, it's hard to keep track. Who's, who's against who? It's just back and forth. Now, Dale Davis, again, he sees this back and forth as satire and really, again, looking at this in a way, and it's helpful to step back and look at this. The joke is on the Philistines here. There's a joke going on, and, and he perceives Israel to be laughing at the Philistines all along the way. Here's what he says. Um, every time uh, these Philistines, every time they think they have a victory, they lose. So Davis says this, quote, they win the bet... Remember that bet of the riddle? You know, you, I bet you can't tell me. And, and if you can, I'll give you 30 garments. And if not, you give me. Well, they won, so they got the garments. What did they lose? 30 of their men of Ashkelon. That's the idea, okay? So they, they win the bet and lose 30 fellow citizens. They are the winning losers, he calls them. Does everything seem peaceful in Timnah? Samson's foxy antic will ensure that the Philistine Cooperative Association's elevators will be near empty. He says, no, it's not funny for the foxes or jackals. But looking at the episode in general, I'm sure an Israelite would find it at least mildly humorous. And I think there's that sense of they keep trying. They think they've got him and they just fail. And we're going to see it play out later in verses 9 through 17 where, again, Philistines seem glad to have captured Samson and then they're beaten with a jawbone of a donkey. Just, it just keeps going. But for now, verse 8 tells us something. It tells us something that happened to Samson, what he did after he struck them hip, thip, <laughs> thip and high, uh, hip and thigh. Where did he go? He fled to a hiding place in the rock of Etam. And then we get into maybe a, a, a longer section here, 9 through 17, of God's salvation. So God's salvation again, Philistines are struck with a great blow. Now into 9 through 17. And so in verse 9, Samson strikes them. Now they come back to retaliate. Again, the back and forth. Verse 9, they come up. They come up against Judah and they take over Lehi. We're going to learn the the background of that name later, but it's used here. They take over Lehi. And Judah asks the Philistines, why are you guys here? What did we do? What's, What's going on? What's this about? And so they tell him, we are after Samson. That's who they want. They've come. They've taken. It seems they, they've spread out in Lehi. We've come for Samson. That's who they want. And so Judah, being the good captives they are, take 3,000 men and they go to get Samson from the rock. Somehow, I don't know how, somehow Judah knows that Samson is there. These men at least know he's there. And they come to take him to the Philistines. Just catch a glimpse of what's going on. 
It's not just the Philistines finding Samson now. His own people come, 3,000 maybe because they're scared that one can't take him. They bring 3,000. Let's take him to the captive, to the enemy. Brothers have turned against Samson, to, bring, to turn against their own deliverer to bring him to the enemy. And that's what they do. Look at their questioning in verse 11. We'll pick up. Here's the three. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so have I done to them. At this point, again, it seems like Judah fears the enemy more than they fear God. They're sold out to the Philistines. Don't you know? They're our rulers. What are you doing against them? And they're more in line with the Philistines. And they've come to bind Samson and actually bind the one that could save them. Little do they know God's sovereign plan is going to work right through this. So, Samson agrees to the ropes. That's fine. Tie me up. As long as you don't kill me, that's great. I'll go with you. I wonder if they said... Wow, this was easy. This was easier than we thought. Okay, he's going to go in the ropes and they assure him they'll just bring him to the Philistines. Look at the last sentence of verse 13 though. They bound him with two, here's again, just like wheat harvest, important details, two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. New ropes, not old, brittle, dry ropes, new ones harder to get out of, bound in these new ropes. So, it's going to take some supernatural strength for Samson to accomplish this. And again, did he have a, a big set of muscles on him? Did he have a great physique? Maybe. It seems like some of the things he does, there's some strength involved. But who's the strong? Who's going to, who's going to get out of these bound new ropes? And again, what we see here is an instance of salvation because it's the Spirit of the Lord who comes upon Samson. We've seen the Spirit of the Lord. Kaylee's picture with the lion. That was the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson. When Samson went down to Ashkelon, this is why, you know, or maybe as I'm thinking about it, why is Samson needs to plead innocence. The Spirit of the Lord led him down to Ashkelon to take out 30 Philistines there. The Spirit of the Lord leads Samson along and in verse 14, we find the Spirit, He, the Spirit of the Lord, working again. Look at verse 14. So, here's the setting. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. The Philistines are overjoyed. They think, we got this guy now. His own people have bound him. I mean, how easy could this be? And there's a war cry in the camp. They're shouting to meet him. But what is going on amidst the shouting? It's the ruach. It's the wind. It's the Spirit of God has come upon, rushing upon Samson. The enemy may shout, but God will rush and save and miraculously, the new ropes just melt in Samson's hand. Again, not, I don't think the point here is, boy, look at how strong what Samson was. We should work out more. It, that's a good idea, but, but the Spirit was at work. 
God alone through His Spirit. And in place, now that His arms are free, in place of these arms, look at what He finds right below Him. A, a weapon you would probably love to have, a jawbone. Right? In, in an age where maybe gun cells are going through the roof, whoever thought of a jawbone. But that's what He finds for His hands. Look at verse 15 and 16 then because of what He finds divinely, I would say. Verse 15, He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it and with it struck 1,000 men. Now Samson does poetry again. Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a 1,000 men. Here's what one commentary speaks of this jawbone to give us an idea what Jawbone of a donkey. They say the jawbone of a donkey. Maybe you have donkeys. Maybe you've handled a jawbone before. They're saying it's about nine inches long, weighs a little less than a pound. It would be slightly curved. Just to be helpful, it well have, uh, uh, and may well have had many of the teeth still in place to improve its effectiveness as a weapon. Can you imagine? I mean, this is Samson. It's... There's a jawbone with teeth in it. And he's just going by the Spirit. A thousand men. And we go, is that hard to get our minds? We go, is it hard hard to believe? Yes. Absolutely true. Yes. That's what God's Word has to say. A couple other verses thinking about the power of the Spirit been running through my mind some this week. Zechariah 4, 6 in part says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might. You remember this? Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. God's spirit is the spirit through whom all was created. He's the eternal spirit and his spirit has great power. And he's the same spirit, Romans Paul's going to talk about Romans 15, where Paul says this. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. The power of the Spirit. It's not about looking for a jawbone. We don't need to go out and try to find some jawbones because that's what the passage is teaching. It's the power of God's Spirit. And Paul says that, I'm praying that that power may give you an abundance of hope. You might abound in hope. Hope where? Hope that looks to whom the Spirit sent to glorify Jesus Christ. To look to Him. The greater Samson. The greater Deliverer. The perfect One. That's the Spirit. He's at work here. He's at work now. Because that's what God's Word tells us. We're just not making up great-sounding things. His Word tells us that. Okay, look at verse 17 then. As soon as he had finished speaking, he, Samson, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramoth-Lehi. And you'll see if you're in ESV, you've got the note. It means the hill of the jawbone. Ramoth-Lehi, that hill of the jawbone. Just a word again about the jawbone. God's going to use Samson. He would use Samson, but it was not the jawbone. The jawbone was the tool 
So it's even difficult as, as Samson you know, kind of goes through the poetry, the jawbone of a donkey, heap upon heaps, the jawbone of a donkey. It's, it's true. There, there's, there's something as I read this, it's, it's difficult. It, he's not mentioning the Spirit of the Lord. I don't know if that's just a, something I'm missing there, but it just seems like the, the, the direction of glory seems a, a tinge aimed towards the jawbone here and not to the God of the jawbone. Whatever it is, I mean, Samson by verse 17 ends up throwing it away anyway. The caution here is this. Don't worship the tool, but the tool giver. Don't worship the tool, the person, your, your favorite uh, communicator or preacher or pastor. That's not the, it's all tools. The Bible. The, the, uh, the Bible is God's Word. Look there to worship the Lord. But the tools, don't worship the tools. Worship the tool giver. We're, we're tempted to worship tools, especially with Christian shopping and trinkets and those sorts of things. We can start to edge towards, let's get that jawbone. You know, we can buy it from the store. I don't know. They don't sell jawbones. But th- you, know, you know what I'm saying, the, the trinkets. God is the one who saves. And so God uses tools. He uses jawbones. He uses foxes. He uses ropes. He uses guys, ill-living guys like a Samson to accomplish his might and his, show his glory. All right, well, all that comes, and now come into verse 18 and 19, I think, because here we come to the lesson. And as we work through the text, I'm always thankful for places that seem to give us that insight into here's what this is all about. And I think we get that here Really, I think in both verses, 18 and 19, let me read them together. And he was very thirsty. After all this, Samson's thirsty. I'll keep reading. And he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called in Hakkore. It is at Lehi to this day. Here again, one of God's servants, kind of like Elijah, when he, he had a great victory and ended up running away and needing the Lord. Here's a thousand Philistines lay slain. In If, if some of the readings right, in the heaps of these thousand Philistines, this great victory, this great salvation, and yet he's facing thirst, a real need. Now, we're going to get to that thirst. I just, I love, having said what I said about his poetry of the jawbone, I love where Samson starts here about this great salvation. His hand had tied the foxes, he had struck the hip and, and the thigh, he had, he had used the jawbone, but truly here, do you see what he's even acknowledging you, Lord, have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. Who's granted it? Who's given it? The Lord. By the hand of the servant. Glory be to the Lord. But though he sees this great salvation, maybe we're this way as well, he's got great thirst and he worries about dying now. And he worries about dying and being given to the uncircumcised. 
And so there was, think about this, there was a hollow place. Uh, somewhere I read, thought maybe it's like a, like a divot in the, in the rock, a, a hollow like that. It's kind of in my mind, but could be something else. But here's this place. When was that made? When did that hollow get made? Creation. Here's, here's a place that I would say has been waiting God's sovereign plan for this time where His servant was thirsty and God's going to provide out of it. And he, that's what He did. He split, split it open for the refreshment of His servant, Samson. And so we see Samson drank. His spirit returned. He was revived. And so on this place, on this hill of the jawbone of the thousand of the victory, here's this en hoc core. It's literally fountain of the one who called. Samson called on the Lord, and and then it says, one commentary brought this out, verse 19, and God, that is God using the name God of creation, God brings open the water, brings water up for his thirst, and he grants refreshing water to Samson. So we ask again, what do 300 foxes, a new rope, and a donkey's jawbone have in common? What they have in common is they point to the God who grants one, such a great salvation, and at the same time, he sustains and he refreshes his servant through a fountain of water prepared for him on this day. We, if you are a believer in Christ, we have such living water within. John 7, 37-39 says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. I'm thirsty. I just took a drink of water a couple minutes ago. There's thirst. We know what thirst is and how refreshing it is. Jesus says, if you thirst, let him come to me. Not to a tool, to me, to Jesus. He says, whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said, the text, about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Here we see the Spirit with Samson coming in, Leave, spirit rushed upon him. We now have an indwelling by God's Spirit. And how does that Spirit sustain? And how does, it, how does He refresh? Not by jawbones, not by foxes, but by pointing us to Christ Himself. So I want to close by pointing you once again to this great salvation. If you would turn to the book of Hebrews, just chapter 1. I'd like to read that, but I want you to see it. Out of, out of so many, out of all of Scripture, right? But let's just go here. Hebrews 1, and we're going we're gonna to tail into Hebrews chapter 2 just a bit, so it'll be a, a little long. Hang in there. Follow along in your Scriptures. Samson was a deliverer. He was a Savior of sorts, corrupt as he was. But he could not ultimately save. He was a shadow. Christ, the reality the perfect Savior. And as I read Hebrews 1 and then into 2, just enjoy a picture of your mighty salvation in Jesus Christ. And I hope that's your case, that's your story today. I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. If so, this is your Savior. 
that this passage is referring to. Hebrews chapter 1 says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are My Son, today I have begotten You? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has appointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed but you are the same and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they angels? Not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Now just a bit into chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts, of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Do not neglect such a great salvation in, our, in, our, in how we live, in our deeds, in our belief. Jesus, the greater Samson, being God Himself, he, he did take on flesh. He did bear our sins and our iniquity upon Himself. He faced agony. Did He face thirst? Yes. He bore the wrath of God and He paid the penalty of the sins of all who would look to Him for salvation. He's not only a greater Samson, He is God. And so He can invite those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not just for a thirst that will never be totally quenched, eternally quenched by just mere water, an eternal thirst for Him. So He grants that to those who look to Him. For those who would fear the enemy, Satan, or fear the world, or fear your own flesh and your own sin, may we come to the One who who saves completely 
great salvation and sustains completely. He began a good work. He'll be faithful to complete it. Let's pray. All glory and blessing and honor is to you, Jesus. And in saying that, I recognize how our flesh wants to fight for our own honor and our own glory and our own recognition. We have nothing. Any jawbones we have, any foxes we have tied together, anything is of Your grace. Anything we have in Christ is from You. Pure grace to the undeserving. Lord, we thank You for a great salvation. For it's not just saving for the moment. It's eternal salvation. Not just sustaining for the moment. Sustaining for eternity. We thank You, Lord. We praise You. And would You grow us this next week as we open up Your Word again on, a, on another morning, on another afternoon, at night, When we open Your Word, may we come thirsting and hungering and may You feed us and sustain us and satisfy us with Your Word to us that describes how great You are and how great Your Son, Jesus Christ, is. Guide us in this, we pray. Lead us there through suffering, through someone. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.